0: Good to see you this morning. It's good to be here. What a beautiful day. I uh, drove the back roads here through all those towns. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here to in Hopton. And uh, what beauty. I saw twice uh, a doe with a fawn, so four deer this morning. Mm-hmm. I saw a turkey. I saw some hay that was cut. That's always kind of a neat thing to see. I saw some cows. And, and uh, just a beautiful, beautiful morning. And even being here, a beautiful thing that I'm seeing is how the Lord is already mending this surface together. And uh, uh, those involved in uh, structures and of services often see that happen. And uh, and I think that you'll see it today as you look back on it. Uh, God is bringing us all together and look forward to celebrating the Lord's supper with you afterwards. God is good. No, no I do apologize, it's just me this morning. And uh, I know that's a sad thing. It's always sad for me too. But uh, my family uh, was occupied with some different things. But normally I try to bring at least one or two with me just to keep this two. And uh, my daughter is my uh, right hand woman, she's my sidekick. But she has a friend visiting, uh, a missionary a child from South Africa, uh, Eliana Hasman. And uh, so she's spending some, some sweet time with her. Glad she will be with you. But uh, I do apologize for that. But I am glad to be with you this morning. Please take your Bibles and open with me to Luke chapter 7. Uh, whenever you're preaching, of course, you're considering what to preach. And, you know, a lot of times it's decided for you when you're preaching through a book. But this time I didn't really have a book set aside that I was working through. And uh, I just. I started thinking about lord what do you what do you want to teach me, and so, in a sense, I started thinking about what message do I need to hear and uh really uh, be challenged in and the Lord led me to this passage and uh i so so you have a message today that I prepared for myself and I, I think it'll be a blessing to you as well, I coached baseball this spring, and i've done that for a few years now. I really enjoy it. my boys play baseball and they they play pretty well, I think, but I know I'm on the highest dad. And uh, they play good ball. I was able to coach two teams this year. and It's interesting as you see them growing up and going through and other kids as well, getting to know these kids, how important it is to get back to, as coaches often say, fundamentals. And uh, how often it's frustrating too from a coach's perspective looking out there. And sure enough, a grounder's going right to a kid. Might be yours, might be one of the other ones and the glove doesn't go down all the way, and sure enough, right through the legs, right underneath, and you're like, ah, we've been working on that way back in the winter. And you still don't? So, next practice, guess what we're doing? Going back. And I think that's really true in sports, but I think it's even more true in our spiritual life, how often we often forget the thumbnails. How often we forget where we came from. We really need to remember such things. And I think Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50, really drives some of these things So I'm going to read it. I'll pray, then I'll explain what we're going to do, and then we'll work to the Verse 36, Luke chapter 7, one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisees' house and reclined at table. Behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. With her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace." let That's great. Dear gracious Father, we thank you so much for the word of God, its truth, its challenge, the way it's written, the beauty of it how even after all these years of being written, it still strikes chords in the hearts of your followers. Please do that again, today. Please make us more and more like Jesus. Please help us to learn from those who have followed after you in the right way. Help us to learn lessons even from those who have not. We pray, Father, that you would be pleasing in your sight. in Jesus' name. Well, I'd like to walk you through the story. I love the narratives of Scripture. They're uh, some of my favorite parts of Scripture, and I love to speak on these as well. What a beautiful narrative here we have of Jesus' interaction with these two people. And so I've broken it up into three parts. There's, There's the setting that we're going to explore, and then there's a parable given, a simple parable. And then at the end, there's this lesson. And then after we look at those three parts, I'm going to look at the three main characters. Uh, one is an example to reject. One is an example that we should follow. And the third is an example that should cause us to respect Peter, uh this great, great God. So first the setting, verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, speaking of Jesus. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. So the Pharisees is, of course, a religious group. Uh, Their name in the Semitic, uh, so where this would have originated from, means the separated ones. They were very religious, very uh, serious about observance of the law. You'd have the scribes that would be interpreting the law. Some of them might have been Pharisees, uh, but not all of them. They are interpreting the law. The Pharisees were really trying to practice the law. And then, of course, you have the Sadducees, which was more of like a ruling sect, uh, often They had some peculiar beliefs and everything. Uh, But the Pharisees were very religious and had great uh, influence on the people. Uh, The Jewish people, who tended to be more religious, at least at this point, really revered the Pharisees and respected them. And uh, if the Pharisees approved of it, the people generally approved of it. And if uh, the Pharisees didn't approve, uh, the people generally didn't approve. And so here we have this um, character uh, this person rising up, Jesus Christ, and growing in popularity. And the Pharisees haven't made a decision yet what they think about Aaron. And so now to kind of test him further, he invites this Jesus into his house. And he's invited into this house. And it would have been somewhat of an open scene. Uh, it was common in that day for when uh, when a feast like this took place that it was somewhat open and people that were not invited could walk by or stand there and look on from a distance. And so he's invited into this scene and uh, the situation, and it says he's reclining at table, which was a common practice for them back then, still is in uh, places of the world where you'd lay down, your elbows would be up towards the table and your feet would be away from the table, your unsampled feet. Uh, would be uh, sticking out from the table, and you'd be kind of resting on pillows and eating. Supposedly, it's better for digestion. I kind of wonder if you might be able to eat a little bit more, but we'll see. No, I I, I probably won't put this into practice, but this is what's taking place. They're eating like this, and it kind of sets the scene. The table would have been a lower table, and uh, they're eating in this Middle Eastern way. Verse 37 says this. Behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask, wine. So you have the, this scene taking place where they're eating and fellowshipping, and somewhat of a, an area where they could look on uninvited guests and kind of see what's going on. You kind of wonder if this is playing into... Uh, Again, many of the Pharisees, even though they were very religious, were very self-righteous and proud. You kind of learn to playing, see, I have the teacher at my place, kind of idea. And you, you have this woman who would have been looking on, and uh, we also know in this setting from later on in the story that we have more people here than just the Pharisee, because we're going to have people questioning, what does he mean by saying forgiveness of sins? So there seems to be a group of people here, and... Possibly Pharisees, or at least tied closely to the Pharisees, and uh, this is the group. And you have this woman who uh, is described as being a woman of the city who was a sinner. Now, my imagination wants to go with that and and try to pinpoint. Well, what was this woman guilty of? What did she do? And we can we can presume, and and possibly many of our presumptions would be correct. But we don't have a lot of specifics, but we do know this: she is well known as a sinner. This man, who will later be described as Simon the Pharisee, he knows it. Jesus knows it. he's going to uh point out later that when her sins are forgiven, which are many. And uh, she would have been known by even the people around here. So imagine this. A woman that is known as being a great sinner. Coming into a scene where you have these religious people. Where you have this religious teacher. And and it, it, it starts to communicate this, in a sense, humble courage be able to step out and put yourself in such a situation where she would obviously be looked down upon, But she had a great reason for doing it. In the verse it talks about an alabaster flask, and she has this with her carrying it to the table. Uh, it was made out of uh, alabaster. It was almost like a marble. would have been chiseled out or, or even drilled out and then often sealed with wax with a, fragrant um, uh, ointment was in that made out of some type of vegetation we don't have specific here other places it's called Nard from Nard plant which came from India this is probably not that because it doesn't say it but something like that it would have been valuable very useful and uh, uh, often used for different purposes than this but here uh, she brings it with her in verse 38 it says and standing behind him At his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them. Boy, there's a lot there. These actions seem kind of radical to us, and they would have been actually radical for them as well, but perhaps for different reasons. Uh, Washing the feet, a kiss, and anointing were parts of the culture. So let me say that again, wash feet, a kiss, and anointing were parts of the, of the culture. I remember uh, going to Zambia and washing our hands before we ate and they would go around with the bowl of water. They didn't wash our hands for us, but you know, it was part of their culture. Washing the feet was in a sense, part of their culture It was very common to them. A kiss was very much a part of the culture. Uh, I was down in Jersey for about five years There was a lot of Italians and a lot of Haitians, and uh, that was the first time I've had grown men kissing me, and uh, it was something I had to get used to, but uh, that's the way they welcomed, and and back then, that was also very common and uh, very much a part of their culture. And then anointing, using olive oil often, and anointing their heads, this was part of their culture. However, this incident stands out for several reasons. This was a woman who was known to be in much sin. Everybody knew it. She had made poor choices, no question about it. She had lived a life that was wrong in many ways, and she is now touching a man that was a revered teacher. And, and you can jump to other places in Scripture and see this come out. Remember Jesus with the Samaritan woman? Uh, here's a woman coming to gather water during the middle of the day. And the disciples come back because they left them to get food, and they're even wondering, there might have been some knowledge of her sin, but they're even wondering, why is he talking with a woman? So this is really breaking social cues in many ways. And Luke really is a gospel that really uh, focuses on on women in, in some ways, more than the other gospels. And sure enough, he brings out the story of this lady who is is, is actually touching this revered teacher, which Culture would have, culturally, would have been not really heard of. Uh, interaction between the genders was very guarded, especially among the religious Jewish men. No matter the situation, though, this is very rare. Instead of using water, she uses her tears. Instead of using a towel, or her clothing, or some fabric she uses for hair, instead of kissing of the cheek, she's kissing feet. And instead of olive oil, she's using this precious thing. This really is radical. And it's funny to me that though that is so radical, that does not seem to be The greatest concern, or where the thoughts are of this Pharisee named Simon. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Right here we start to see within the heart of this Pharisee that he is questioning and wondering. And we're going to see it throughout. But he is wondering about this one called Jesus and what he's communicating, if he's the real deal, if this is the Messiah, if he really is a prophet here. And he's questioning this. He's not so alarmed, actually, by the actions, but actually the reputation of this woman. And the fact that Jesus is allowing her to touch him. And in reality, he's asking this question, is this really a prophet? And as we study the whole of Scripture, we come to the realization, no, he's not a prophet. He is the prophet. In fact, all the prophets, the true prophets that came before, were pointing towards this prophet. But his question oh, because he's allowing a sinful woman to touch him, is this really a prophet? And now the prophet is going to do something that prophets do. He's going to know exactly what he's thinking. And so in verse 40, it says, And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. So irony, this one who is not a prophet by his means is going to read his thoughts and is going to speak to them. And up till this point, we haven't seen the name of this man, but now he's declared as Simon. So Jesus, I believe in a loving way, but in a strong confrontational way, Simon, I have something to say to you points out his name. And I believe that the Pharisee responds somewhat hypocritically here. He is questioning who this man is, questioning his teaching, and yet he responds, say it, teacher. And I think here we see that he really is up in the air about who Jesus is. Jesus then is going to give a parable. So we've had the setting. Now he's going to share this simple parable. In verses 41 and 42. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? So we see this amount of money put forth here. It's called a denarii. It was a, a day's wage. And thinking about this, you know, there's no way to necessarily give us an exact uh, money value here. But, you know, I was just playing with the numbers. We see 50 and 500, so 10 times more, uh, the one amount. And I was thinking about a labor, uh, say say about $200 a day in our mind. So let's think of this in, in, in ours. And, again, this is not exact. But just to give you an idea, we're thinking about $10,000. Versus a hundred thousand, and and this would have been a common, uh, at least a, a common idea in their day. This use of a money lender and having debtors. Uh, the one was definitely a greater sum, ten times more. Uh, it's not as much as other sums that are described in Scripture, but you know this is still a, a big debt forgiveness. And Jesus this simple human story, to now communicate this heavenly truth. And he's going to say, ask this simple question, and the answer is quite obvious. Who will love him more, forgiven 50 or 500? And it really leads the Pharisee into this, this, this situation where the obvious answer is right there, and he doesn't really want to give it. And we see it in verse 43 where he says, Simon answered, the one, I suppose, to that I suppose, yes, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to them, said to him, you have answered rightly. And Jesus commended. And so he's given this simple parable, and now Jesus is going to expound upon it. And he's going to use it, and he's going to bring it right home. And this is the lesson. And uh, it gets really convicting. We've had this setting, we've had this parable, and now he's going to share this lesson. Verse 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. So there Jesus, laying down a table, talking to Simon, perhaps across the table, looks at the woman and speaks to him. And he points out, Simon, do you see this woman? This woman that everybody here knows is a sinner, a woman of the city. I entered your house. And the common practice of the day would have been to give some water to wash my feet. To, to have a bowl of water and wash my feet, perhaps it doesn't even imply here doing it, but at least giving the water there so I can at least wash my own feet. Instead, she uses something that is much more valuable to her. Really, I believe a sign of her, her mourning over her sin. And she's going to use her very own tears and use them to wash his feet. And in that process, another common part would be having something to dry them or wipe them off with. And this lady, as he describes in verse 44, has wiped them with her hair. Now, uh, the head was considered, of course, and we would still do this today in our own way, but head was seen a more glorious part of the body, and the feet was a lowlier part, you know, literally and figuratively. Uh, Sangled feet walking around in dusty uh, Middle East, they would have been dirty often. And so, common practice to wash your feet. Remember when Jesus is washing the disciples' feet? Peter goes, wash my whole body uh, kind of idea. And he goes, no. And he's he's teaching a spiritual truth there. But the idea was, you know, you've been watched in me. And and now I believe the picture there is continual fellowship. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's this idea of walking with the Lord. And it was very common, a common practice to wash your feet. And uh, this is where he's at. And... Instead of using a rag, which would have been the normal process, she's taking something off of her head. Something that was very dear to a woman, and we would even value that today, something cared for and beautified and taken care of and brushed, is now going to take that off of her head and use it to wipe his lowly feet. Verse 45, you gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. It's really hard for us in our uh, minds to separate uh, romance from kissing, but it really was not this idea at all. This was total reverence. Again, taking her glorious part of her body, her head, and, and kissing his feet. It was normal just to kiss the cheek. And yet she has gone beyond and has so respectfully, so honored the Savior by kissing his feet. Verse 46. You did not anoint my head with oil. She has anointed my feet with oil. Again, the common practice was all over me. Here, she takes out one. Costly that probably would have cost her very much. Once you break that flask open, uh, the shelf life is decreasing. It's being used in this. And, and I get the idea and assume that she probably used the whole thing. This fragrance that would normally not be used for this, this application at all is now being put, this, this, this valuable, I would say, her best of best being given and applied to his feet. Verse 47. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved. Her. But he was forgiven little. Loves little. Notice it says there, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. And now, what he says here, if taken out of context, could be confusing. And perhaps as we read that, there was a question that came to your mind. Let's take it in context. Let's think about what's been declared and what's happened. Jesus is connecting the parable to this woman. And her love is declaring her understanding of her sin. And her faith in Jesus as the forgiver of her sins. Why is she coming to him? You know, even in the parable itself, the debtor forgave the sins, the debt. So Jesus is not communicating that her love is what caused her to be forgiven. But her love is a reflection that she's come to the right place, and now she is going to be forgiven because she has come to Jesus. It's even more clearly stated there in verse 50 where it says, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Her love is declaring her understanding of her sin, and her faith in Jesus is the forgiver of her sin. And the proofs can be seen in the parable, moneylender, lender also is also seen there in Then Jesus says something that only God can say. And it says in verse 48, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Right here, the people are understanding, these religious authorities are understanding that this is a radical statement. No prophet has said this. No priest has said this before. No religious teacher or follower has said this of of, of themselves. He is saying, your sins are forgiven, and he is declaring that. They question it, as they do at other places. In verse 50 it says, And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you, woman. He makes this declaration. Now again, this statement taken out of place could be confused. And in our day and age where we like to focus on faith and just belief and believing, we need to remember that this is in a passage of Scripture and it's communicating a truth about a certain person. She has come in sorrow over sin in front of everybody to one person recognizing his greatness. It reminds me of the blind Bartimaeus who said, uh, among all the people, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What's he saying by son of David? He's recognizing this Messiah, the anointed one, and she's coming to him, understanding that he is worthy of great honor and respect. I'm not saying she understood all all scriptural truth. Uh, She was probably not a religious scholar, She didn't have all of her theology down. She understood. She was a sinner. She was unworthy. And he was the one that she had to go to. He hasn't even died on the cross yet. Hasn't risen from the dead. But Jesus understands that this sinful woman, who was a great sinner, is coming to him and coming to the right place. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And so he says, your faith has saved you. Your faith in me. It's faith in Jesus Christ. And at this point, it's looking forward to what was going to take place. Somehow, this shepherd of the sheep, this Passover lamb, was going to make atonement for people. And she's coming to him. He knows all that's going to take place. He knows the sacrifice he's going to take and he's going to willfully go to that cross, but it's based upon Jesus Christ. And so he makes this comparison between her, her faith, her love, her forgiveness. Now we look at the three characters here. And we see, first of all, the first one mentioned in verse 36. One of the Pharisees. Let's analyze this man. Well, he's doubtful of Jesus. I think it becomes obvious in the fact that he questions whether he is a prophet, and yet he's willing to call him teacher. I think it's revealed in the fact that he gives a rather cold welcome to an esteemed guest. And then it becomes even more clear that this man needs to be challenged in his faith about Jesus by the way that Jesus addresses him. Another analysis of his life, we know that the Pharisees, even though many of them become part of the church, Paul, right? Uh, later on, even in the book of Acts, it talks about Pharisees coming to Lord. In fact, right? sometimes they brought quite a few problems. But this man was a a, a religious leader. He was was a separatist in a sense. He was very adamant about following the scriptures. Sadly, they added in the tradition of uh, their fathers as well. But notice, his greatest concern was that Jesus was being touched by this woman who was a sinner. And I think what it communicates and shows us very obviously is that this is a self <laughs> And Jesus came to save sinners. The problem is, is this man is comparing himself to others. When he should be comparing himself to God. Uh, perhaps you've gone out with kids on a, on a dark night with flashlights. And uh, it's always nice to have the brightest flashlight. My flashlight's brighter than yours. My batteries are new. My flashlight's better. Take those out on a sunny day. And the contrast is even more when we compare ourselves. This man comparing himself to this woman thinks, Oh, I'm so good. I'm so right when in reality we compare ourselves with God and maybe he has not done the things he, he, uh, this woman has done uh, however he is a very sinful very needy man you know I think that's what Jesus meant in the Sermon on the Mount when he said blessed are the poor in spirit it's not that some are poor in spirit and some aren't the question is, do you realize you are poor in spirit? You are desperate and needy spiritually. And this woman realized, but this man did not. And so the challenge we get from this man that I would challenge you to leave with today as we strive to love our Savior the way we ought is to recognize your sinfulness all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes when we've been walking with the Lord perhaps for a while, reading our Bibles, going to church, we forget where we came from and even how still sinful we are. And even as believers, we start to act self-righteous spirits. I mean, Second example that we look at, and this is the example to follow. The first one was an example to reject. We need to instead recognize our sinfulness. This one is an example to follow. We need to respond correctly. Jesus. This one modeled courageous humility. Willing in the midst of all those people to make herself low, well, which is really who she was, and come to Jesus. In the midst of self-righteous, prominent people, she humbled herself with the Savior. And, and in doing so, then went above and beyond and modeled great acts of worship. Much that were so honor-giving, so over-the-top giving respect and honor to a person. She lifted Jesus very high, and she made herself very low. She recognized Jesus for being worthy of great respect, and then consequently next to him, she recognized her own think that's the way we should come to church, or worship, or even in devotions, or maybe it should just be the continual fragrance of our life. I am so unworthy, but God is so He's so loved, so forgiving, so kind. She gives us a wonderful, wonderful example to follow. And then the third example we look at is Jesus. Jesus knew that this woman was a sinner. And what sign was seen? Jesus knows. This is not a normal man. Think about this too. Jesus accepted actions that I would describe as being worship. Find me another place in the Bible where you would have a man of God, or a woman of God, or even an angel of God, accept acts like this. You want to see a proof of the deity of Christ? It's right here. God the Father blessing him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And yet at the same time, accepting acts like this. And it's not really foreign to Scripture. Go back to Psalm 2. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry. This is no normal person. This is the God-man. 100% man, but also 100% God. He is worthy of such reverence. This is the Savior of our sins. Well, where would we be without Jesus then declares that this woman was forgiven. That's not a normal statement. And that her faith in him is what saved her. What a challenge. We need to recognize our sin. Stop comparing ourselves to others and say, compare ourselves to God. We need to believe in Jesus. He is the Savior, the Son of God, the forgiver of our sins. We need to humbly worship our Savior. I think of Revelation in chapter 2 where uh, John is challenging the Ephesians. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first, because therefore, or remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. And so often when we when we come to Christ, at first there is a, there's a passion and a love and an understanding of what we've been forgiven of. And yet when we go on in our Christian walk, and yet so often it's, it, it's so common to forget that. Instead, we're challenged in Revelation to do the works that we did at first. To have such a, a love and appreciation This woman really humiliates herself in this scene. And it declares to us, worship is really all about God. It's not about us. And she displays us. Even after salvation, we are challenged, in a sense, to follow in this path. I believe this is her salvation. But we are challenged to confess our sins one to another. We're challenged to weep and mourn over our sin in James. So I believe this is a mentality that we need to continually have. This burden over sin, this love and appreciation for Jesus Christ. There's three examples here. One simple parable, but I believe great reminders of humility, our need for Jesus, do Jesus Christ. If you haven't put your faith in him like this woman, oh, I challenge you, please do that today. And then, believers, join with me in remembering where we've come from, that our only Savior is Jesus. Let's pray. Very gracious Father, I thank you for this story, a true story, a story of great humility, great forgiveness. Green